Hello and welcome again to our next lesson of the encounter. I'm super pumped about this lesson. I think it's a great one. And so, good lesson. yeah, man, it's a really good lesson. Like I said, I, I have loved this encounter. I hope you've loved it as much as I. I have noticed in life, though, if I really love something and I'm a nerd and a snob, lots of other people don't. So, but I hope this is an exception to the rule. So, <laughs> um, this is going to be for Sunday, March the 27th. And it's going to be John 18, 28 through 40. And it's Jesus before Pilate. So this will be our second lesson from John 18. Um, my name is Chris Fleming. I am the adult ministry coordinator for the ministry council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I'm joined with Reverend Becky. Hi, good morning, everyone. And I am the director of ministry with women for the ministry council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We're getting good at that. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, I can get it in under one breath now. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, our prayer for illumination today, Lord, we want to learn the spiritual lessons that you would teach us and to live in willing obedience and utter dependence upon you. May we never fear the difficult circumstances that we face in life, but live as you intended, learning obedience by the things that we might suffer so that in all things we may say, thy will, not mine be done. Amen. Oh, and that man. is from prayer.knowing-jesus.com. Um, it's uh Sometimes I run out of prayers of illumination. For sure. So I have to go to other spots, but it's actually a good spiritual exercise, you know, to find yeah, other absolutely. people's prayers. And our memory verse for today is John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And that's going to be a... Uh, Again, that's John 18, 36. That's going to kind of be our theme in this lesson. So, yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, um, are do you have anything you want to mention women's ministry related or anything before we jump in? Yeah, um, you should hopefully very soon be getting information for registration for convention, which will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, June 20th through the 23rd. Be looking out for that information. If you're not following us on our social media, you can go to Facebook and look for Women's Ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And on Instagram, Woosley Women, we would love to have you join with us. This is where we are posting um, all of our upcoming events, our regional retreats, that sort of thing. So please follow and like us on both of those platforms. So what the Instagram was Woosley's Women? Woosley Women. Yep. Woosley. All one word Woosley Women, W O O S L E Y Women. Um, and then on Facebook, it's Women's Ministry of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Awesome sauce. All right. Well, then let's get into the introduction of this um, lesson. And the introduction of the lesson highlights one of the, I don't know, I think Inherit the Wind. Is that the movie that um, kind of chronicles? It might be. I think it's Inherit the Wind. But you had um, the Scopes trial. It's the Scopes monkey trial is what we... <laughs> Uh, call it in our vernacular and Reverend Newell is from Dayton Tennessee so uh, that that's a cool story if y'all ever get a chance just to watch that movie or to hear a podcast on how all that began um, it's really cool so anyway Becky do you have anything on the introduction that you would want to bring up? Mm, uh, you know not really. That's really, she points out at the very last sentence, she says, as Jesus stands trial before Pilate, both his fate and ours hang in the balance. And yeah. I so love that yeah. idea. Yeah. And the, and the cool thing about this is that Dayton trial, I mean, it, it has played a role, an outsized role in, I mean, it, it was pretty much a mock trial. Uh, that was the thing. It was, it was engineered. Like it really, like there were some good old boys in a coffee shop pretty much in Dayton that said, we need to bring some more business here. How can we do it? And so they got together with people and they said, let's make this trial, find the, find the right person, find, find the. So anyway, it's really cool the way, I mean, maybe it's cool. I don't know, but for Cumberland Presbyterian historical nerds, this trial was all about some Cumberland Presbyterians. Williams Jennings Bryan, when he was young, was a Cumberland Presbyterian and, um, eventually the church that he was a part of in Salem, Illinois, uh, merged in 1906 with, uh, with the PCUSA church, okay. but, but he was a Cumberland Presbyterian. Um, you might not know this. So the Scopes family, John T. Scopes, mom and dad were members of the Margaret Hank church. I forgot what it was called at the time. Um, I don't, I think it was Park Avenue, Cumberland Presbyterian at that time. Um, Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah. 
in Paducah. And actually, John T. Scopes is buried across the street in the cemetery there by the oh wow what is now now it's grace covenant church it was margaret hank church for a long time but right uh we merged together with another church and now it's grace covenant but anyway uh john t scopes did attend uh the margaret hank church which i again i think at, at the time would have been park avenue Carmel protein church but uh he never was a member his parents were members and okay so anyway there's your cumberland protein connections william william jenning brian was a was a Cumberland Presbyterian for a very well I think till he was 14 or 15 um then he moved from Salem but uh the Scopes folks were definitely Cumberland Presbyterian and you can that visit that is really cool so if you are wanting some American history and uh and some Cumberland Presbyterian history you can still the uh, grave there for John T. Scopes is kind of in the, in the middle of that cemetery so well, there you go um, there you go our history be, nerds yeah I can I can be a tour guide very very cheap uh, <laughs> lunch yeah. lunch will do <laughs> as long as you provide lunch <laughs> so it was really fun uh and so i guess the like you brought up the the point of this introduction the way it's like the nation was really trying to clarify and use this ruling as a future indicator of how we'll, we would move on in education what's the role right. of what's the role of religion and education or, or whatnot and so this the parallel is whatever happened to Jesus had this everlasting effect. What happened in this trial had a lasting effect and still does. I mean, people still talk still about does. it. Sure. So that's pretty good. Um, so that leads us then to the exploring the scripture, historical and contextual setting. Again, I think Jennifer has done a really great job here. Yeah. Um, and I've got some things that I would talk about, but I'm going to go with you. Is there anything you wanted to highlight? Yeah, um, she talks on the bottom of page 25. She really gives some great information about pilots and how, yeah. you know, how the gospels portray him versus how he is portrayed in history. You know, in history, he is portrayed as this incredibly cruel, vindictive, corrupt, insulting, and inhumane individual. Um, her last sentence on page 25 is more than once he put innocent people to death without even the pretense of a trial to shut up his critics or to remind them who's boss yeah. and i just oh, think about yeah you know i mean just an awful thing this is these pilot was although he was over the region uh, that rome gave him charge of he by our definition today this would be more dictatorship or authoritarian um, type of regime that he really ruled over to make sure that people stayed in line and did exactly what he wanted them to do um, instead of being able to have the religious freedom that they thought they had. Um, you know, and this that's really important as we get into this trial um, because the the Jews knew exactly who Pilate was and exactly who they were dealing with. Yeah. And like, it also shows for Pilate, I mean, regardless of what his religious instinct is, you know, the Romans, they had plenty of gods, but the Roman empire or the Roman Republic was their most important because that was their treasure in heaven, so to speak. Yes. I mean, it was yeah. the, and so, you know, what you believe has impact on what you do right mm -hmm. like i mean it's just and so wherever wherever it your should. heart yeah wherever your treasure is there your heart shall also be yeah yeah and so i think that's part of the the highlight what john's trying to highlight is like you know the romans were going to protect romans the jewish authorities yeah. wanted to protect their power right jesus jesus's treasure was in heaven so he said you know my stuff's not of this world yes so that's yeah um i would say in the middle of page 26 the middle paragraph where it starts with the Sanhedrin's issues with Jesus may have been theological but their concerns are also political since they wanted to retain their own good relationship with the Romans and I think that's important mm -hmm. um, we've talked before about how politics and religion sometimes uh, are too friendly and I think this is a I mean it's a mistake that's made a lot and I would For say history. even um, the I don't think the Sanhedrin's cared too less since about whether Jesus was actually claiming to be the Messiah. They were simply seeing their power. And if you think about it from just pure motives, they might have been concerned that Jesus claiming to be a Messiah would have terrible ramifications for Jews in general because of the Romans. Sure. 
So let's say that they're right. Now, like one of the things that I've learned in studying religions just in general is that, um, I don't know, you've probably heard people say that religion is terrible. It's the cause of so many wars and deaths and everything. Sure. Yeah. So there's a scholarly edition of study that's collected. It's called the Encyclopedia of Wars, right? And it's from uh, authors Phillips and Alex, Alex Axelrod. And I've, I've had to study this for a class I teach. Um, and so they chronicle every single war that's ever happened. And they can come up to 121 wars specifically about religion among wow. thousands that have actually happened. And wow. so they shortcut and say, no, most of this stuff isn't about religion. Like they, they don't even put the crusades about religion because it was about territory, right? Sure. You can you can say I'm doing this in the name of God, but really you want that port city, <laughs> right? That's what you want. Yeah. But you couch these things in religious terms so that then the mass of people actually care that their king wants a port city, right? Like that's how you have to do it because most common people are just trying to survive. Yes. Probably what's going on now in Russia. Yeah. The vast majority of Russian citizens are trying to find a potato to eat. And I'm not saying that humorously. Like, I think that more Russians die than are born and have for like, because there's just not enough subsistence. The healthcare is not good. The, yeah. So anyway, so what, what then any leader has to do to get their common people on board is to hijack religion because that's mm -hmm. more important for most common people than than whether their ruler wants some extra land or some oil right. or so on and so forth. Um, so then, anyway, I say all that to say, another example they give is uh, like the IRA. Remember in Northern Ireland mm -hmm. where Protestants and Catholics fought each other. Was it necessarily true that the IRA tried to assassinate Margaret Thatcher because she didn't believe in the transubstantiation of, of communion? No, right. of course not. Right. But it's easy to say. Uh, and so, but it's a warning for us because what we do with religion a lot of times is we try to hijack it for our purposes. Yes. And Absolutely. so I, I think we have to be careful. And so that's one of the, the, uh, I would say the bad things about religion and politics getting uh, too close to each other. Yes. On either way, religious folks can use the state to push their agenda. And usually it's not a good one if you have to do that. And mm -hmm. then the state then can use religion to push the people into probably what's not good either. Yeah. So be careful on that, but that's what you get. So, yeah. so then the other thing that that does is Jennifer sets up this um, kingdom from above, kingdom from below, and, yes. and the contrasting things and, and where concerns maybe should lie. Sure. Know. And and I think it was really important. She also talks about middle page 26, more towards the top. Uh, the reason that Pilate was in town was because this was an entire Jewish festival about freedom from oppression and right. the oppressor. And so Pilate had to make sure that he was in town just to say, yeah, you might be celebrating this, but just, just keep you informed and in line that we're still here, that yeah. you're still under Roman rule. And that's the end of that conversation yeah and she brings it home pretty good when a, uh, you know, um, we'll say the bottom paragraph on page 27 you know jesus says my kingdom is not of this world mm -hmm. jesus's authority power and plans are rooted in the realm of heaven not in the politics of earth the movement led by jesus has no army it doesn't need one instead his kingdom will spread across the earth inviting each of us to respond to the truth it embodies and i think that's really important um, yes and and i'll get into that more because this is a pet peeve of mine but not not yet i won't do it okay um i, I really want to talk about that discussion question on yeah page which brings us to that discussion okay question because okay, depending, good. yeah it depends on i mean what's your view of heaven so recently i'll set this up recently i i attended a education conference and i took exception to one of the preaching uh, times where um, I think the lady had a view of the kingdom of God that it's here on earth, a utopia on earth, and that it can actually, and theologically, I think there's a difference between here. Mm -hmm. My theology says that the kingdom of God will be recreated on this earth at the end of time when Jesus Christ ushers in a new kingdom, but I don't think we humanly can reach it. And our salvation isn't in our work, but in the work of God. But 
nonetheless, that sets up what we're going to. So you want to read that discussion question? Yeah, it says most of us have no personal experience with kingly authority or with kingdom talk beyond church. It sounds old fashioned and maybe even quaint. In what ways do we understand or misunderstand this image? And that's true because we do not have the kingly authority here in the United States. What we have is the Democratic Republic. Um, and so we don't always understand what that means to be part of a kingdom or have that kingly authority. Yeah. And I, and I think one thing that we need to, or to recognize, be under kingly, or authority. to be under kingly authority, when you are ruled in the kingdom of God, okay. And in my personal opinion, and, and you feel free to correct me if, if need be, okay. um, to, <laughs> To be under this kingly authority means that what the king decrees, what the king says goes. Right. That's just it. And then I, as a child of God, as a child of this king living in this kingdom, then have chosen to take on the role of ambassadorship for the kingdom where I'm at in this world, which means everything that I say, everything that I do how I act and how I treat people as a representation of being under this kingly authority yeah, for good or bad. Yeah. I think, so that's, that's the default. I say default way. I'd say that's the way that we've thought about the kingdom of God for a very long time in theological circles or um, uh, other things. You might've heard the term kin kingdom or kinship um, in terms. So, in this theological and a theological, I mean, I'm going to say the, but where people try to um, make the kingdom of God more egalitarian. So like with mm-hmm. Paul, when he says neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew or Gentile. Sure. But I think it does. So I think the shortcoming of that saying kingdom or whatever else, which is fine if you're just talking about the subjects of the king. But you certainly, I don't think, historical theology would say that you can downgrade the imagery of Christ as king of his kingdom ruling with a righteous scepter with the earth under his foot as a footstool. I think the imagery there is Christ is certainly the king and his decrees will last and, and, and are not up to democratic or egalitarian debate. That's how I would see that. I am sure, however, that there will be people reading this encounter that disagree with me. And so you do the best you can with what you got. Right. 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 Um, what about the discussion question, Becky, that what sets the church apart from social clubs, nonprofits, or other organizations? In what ways do our goals and methods testify to a foundation that is not from this world? Is it ever okay to adopt methods or pursue goals that worldly organizations embrace? That's that's a tough that's a tough discussion question. Yeah, this is about like a um, semester long course if you wanted it to be. Yeah, what sets church apart from social clubs, nonprofits, or other organizations? Let's just start there. The church should be an extension of the kingdom, um, showing kingdom values and displaying what living under King Jesus looks like. What sets us apart? Unfortunately, I think in our modern age is that we've become more of a social club. Um, and I think that's, that's, we should be looking like a kingdom representative is what we should be. Um, but we don't always do that. So I don't know. That's, that's a really tough question. Um, in what ways do our goals and methods testify to a foundation that's not from this world? I think too often we, we don't. We testify more being part of this world um, than we do setting it apart from this world. That's my personal opinion, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of hate mail for that. <laughs> I don't know. What about the, is it ever okay to adopt methods or pursue goals that worldly organizations embrace? You know, yeah, because we're still people um, and we're still people living in this world. And so there are methods. You know, great example of this is the modern use of technology. OK, so before COVID, the church was very hesitant to embrace technology as a whole. Um, Post COVID, 
or hopefully post COVID, we recognize the importance of technology and being able to reach a whole nother generation that grew up on technology and how we utilize it. So is it okay to adopt methods, pursue goals? Sure. Um, because that's how we're going to reach people where they are. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that we're, we're a part of the world. That just means we're using the avenues that are available to us to reach people right where they're at. Yeah. So that you, so you accentuated the positives and, and like everything else in the world, like, so I don't think like sure. a big battle right now would be the quote unquote systems of, mm -hmm. of the government. So like the past couple of years, you've had like, well, the system is corrupt. You would hear like systematic, whatever, uh, whether it's systematic racism, systematic power, systematic injustice, systematic, whatever. And what they say is that that system is wrong, which very well could be right. Sure. But what Jesus does, and this is where I take issue when people say that you don't, you shouldn't see heaven as a kingdom. I mean, he explicitly uses the structure or the system of king subjects. Yes. Um, and so yeah. depending on how you understand your scripture, like I, I believe in a revealed, like this is what scripture says. So if, if the system is used, then maybe the system's not evil, but the people in the system are evil and make it therefore an evil system. But the system itself maybe doesn't have anything wrong with it. Now, again, that's a big gulf too. That sure, people because people, people are still with. people, you know, and we have systems in place. You know, I, I would consider myself more on the social spectrum. And is that system inherently bad? No, I think the social structure is good, but will it ever work? No, because people, people are, are corrupt and yeah. people, um, you know, there's an old saying that says power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And, and so when you use that, that type of a system, it's going to be corrupt because people are in charge of it. Yeah. So yeah. is it ever, when she says, is it ever okay to adopt methods? Well, yeah, because we're humans, like you said, I mean, every human organization is going to share some common traits yeah. and some, you know, best practices if you will. Yeah. But at the same time, there are certainly methods that we do not use. So when Jesus talks to the disciples and he says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over you, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we don't, we, we're not that. And he says, not so with you. If you're going to be great, you're going to be a slave, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're going to show power, it's going to be through your service. Or you think about the whole world and how power is used to manipulate or ways yes. people manipulate yeah. one another. And we don't want to do that either, right? Like that's, that's not a method that we would use, but that's mm -mm. a key method. Like, I mean, like, no matter your stance on, I think I saw a, uh, it was really crazy it, with the COVID stuff. Like, if you were listening to certain information, you believe certain false things. Yes. Like, so like, people who watched Fox News, um, when they were surveyed, they didn't know, like, the effectiveness of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, if you were an MSNBC watcher, you mm -hmm. thought that over 55% of people who got COVID went to the hospital and it was really only like 1% ever went to the hospital. Right. And so, so the manipulation was happening, but they were doing it for their own ends. Right. So mm -hmm. they could generate the, And we don't do that. We speak in truth. Right. Right. Which is hard to do. It's hard to do. So that's where the church sometimes needs to like check itself and say, is what we're doing being faithful to the kingdom or the system that God has, has ordained. Um, and then what se separates the church apart from social clubs or nonprofits? I think nonprofits might like, I think at its best, a church, um, would, would not just say that, Hey, we're a country club for those we would like. They wouldn't say it that way right. for sure. They wouldn't say it that way. No, of course you wouldn't say it that way, right. but I, I think, yeah, that, but they are, I mean, a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is even the most, and I would say even well-meaning people would, would sure. churches might become a, a nonprofit in the sense of they see the realm of their, um, influence tied to what they can see taste or touch but i think the church is an eternal thing from above not from below and so if we sacrifice the the you know the heavenly virtues the heavenly callings and really i'll say this too the fact that the church calls individuals from darkness to light to mm -hmm. repentance and uh, we we forget that sometimes too but it's easy for a church to feed or to volunteer it like the soup kitchen to give clothes, yeah. to work in these organizations, but eventually the kingdom of God is from above, not below. And you call people to repentance. And, and yes. at least the way Jesus says, basically the entrance to the kingdom is through repentance. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's what we read in John. And so, and we get lost in that sometimes. But I will say this, you know, you got that some people are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Some people are too right. earthly good to be heavenly minded for some Yes. Reason. And so I think that's a, that's a hard balance for a lot of us to do because we look at all the things that we are doing. Yeah. And, and instead of recognizing the purpose that we're doing them for and the, and the purpose that we're doing it is to share those kingdom values with others, to share the kingdom and invite people to be a participant in this kingdom with you. So are these things good? You know, is your clothes closet good? Is your food pantry good? Is your soup kitchen? Yes, absolutely. These are good. These are good and beautiful things, but it's still, you do the good to invite people to to participate in the kingdom with you. It's not just this. It is not our goal that everybody in the world lives in perfect harmony as the cope. It's that our goal that everybody in the world would submit to Jesus Christ as king and to come out of the earthly kingdom into the heavenly kingdom. Yeah. Um, again, going to get emails on some of this, but we're gonna be okay. sure we- <laughs> um, so anything else on that section? I mean, we've talked pretty so. good about it. I mean, yeah. and, and those are things like, again, and all of this requires humility. Yes. Like I've never seen anybody to do too much good in the world. But I don't know if I've ever seen anybody like evangelize enough in this world either. So like, you know, I mean, like, and then we, we work in the world, our, our treasure is in heaven, hopefully our hearts in heaven, but that doesn't stop us from doing good work here. I don't know. It's all. So the digging deeper section, uh, I think she did really good. That first paragraph sets it up. She said, first paragraph, last sentence says, John's gospel is more poetry than textbook, more theology than newspaper account. And I think to be faithful to the gospel, John, you have to realize that. So again, you might have some disagreements on honest disagreements in the sense of where things are placed in the book of John. Mm-hmm. But if you just give yourself the freedom to say, John wasn't being a journalist in the Western world, right. he was writing for the purpose that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and then him have eternal life. That's yes. the point. And so um, well, it's okay. Right. Like, it's okay. It wasn't like he was being underhanded. That was just a way of writing at the time. No, that was, that was his point, his whole purpose. I mean, we've talked about it several times through this entire study is that John's focus was to show the messiahship of, of Christ. It wasn't to be in chronological order. It was, it was to move his storyline along to show you the reader who Jesus was. And then uh, she brings up which, of course, this is a famous passage for a number of reasons, but certainly one of the reasons why it's a famous passage and one that's studied still and causes interest is when Jesus, you know, talks about the truth and Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? And, and so, like, uh, the third paragraph from the bottom starts with, but Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And grace and truth are what Jesus has to offer. Jesus's truth is hard for people in positions of authority to accept, but the acknowledgement of the truth of Jesus's claim and his teachings is what sets his people apart and what sets us free. Um, and I think that's the truth. And, and I finally come to realize maybe what a little bit of that means. For me, it would be the COVID thing really brought a lot of this to my attention. Like if you didn't have a citizenship in heaven and you didn't have, um, your mind on some heavenly things, you can get eat up with politics. Yes. And you can get eat up with ideologies and lose your ability to say, no, this is true. Right. So like, and, and I won't point to a specific example, but I just saw where people wholeheartedly took toward a political party or ideology, took wholeheartedly to a, a social ideology and, and, and not having a dog in the race anymore. Like this is, I'm, this is from above. I can look down and say, no, nah, that's wrong too. Like there's, there's, there's wrong on both sides here. And there's something yeah. free. You're free then to be able to criticize when things need to be criticized. And you're free to be able to push for things that are good, regardless what group says this is good. Like there's a freedom in that, that you lose if you're from below, because you have to, then you have to like choose your tribe if you're from below. Right. But if your tribe's from above, I don't know. I mean, like it's, it's a lot cooler when you're not the one fighting, but you're looking down and saying, no, I'm not in, I'm not slaves to this. So. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's, it's, 
it's been eye-opening i think to see uh just where where some people are at you know and and hopefully hopefully though coming out of this and and being able to study this it will help us recognize that that we still have room to grow, that we still have a lot to learn yeah. and, um, and that we need to be more kingdom minded and kingdom focused I think and so. not so focused. Focus. Yeah. On the world. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll just say I had a, a conversation with a friend the other day and of course things that are going on in Russia and Ukraine and, and some of the things that are being said online through different, um, religious circles, of of what's coming and uh she asked me she said well how do you feel i said it doesn't matter how i feel <laughs> you know i'm i'm walking through the calling that god has placed on my heart which is to continue to share the gospel message which is to continue to invite people to be a part of the kingdom to uh, recognize jesus as lord and savior and and whatever happens I don't have any control over that. I don't have any, I don't have any power over that. What I do have power yeah. over is to continue to preach Jesus. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I've thought about that statement too, because I don't want to, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that there's nothing you can do. Right. What, what you're saying, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like in being faithful to Jesus's command to preach the gospel it's not as though you're saying I'm getting out of this world. You, no. you have faith or we as Christians have faith that if we preach the gospel, someone's transformed. And when that somebody is transformed, they're not as terrible as they was before. Right. Yes. And yeah, therefore, hopefully. yeah. And therefore the world is better. Maybe they choose to serve and maybe that goes on. And so like to say that you're not part of this world isn't, doesn't mean that you're completely out of it, but it means the methods that you use to change the world are different and yes that you believe the preaching of the gospel will in and of itself by submitting yourself to the power of the gospel and the holy spirit you're saying i can change well i can be part of changing the world but it's the gospel it's through the gospel and through the holy spirit that has changed and that's yes. different than the than some of the other things we get caught up in mm -hmm. absolutely i think no um <laughs> I don't yes. know. I think about these yes. things a lot and I, I get. Twisted. Well, and, and I think we, we do need to think about them because I, I think we tend to get too caught up in the world and not focused enough on the calling that Christ has given us. You know, we get so focused on what's happening in the world and what could be what the if is rather than continuing to be faithful and recognizing, you know, do I, okay, I'm just going to say, do I have the power to stop the war between Russia and Ukraine? Do I personally have the power? No. Does it matter what I do to, that I can stop? No, I, I don't. I, I can't go talk to the leaders of these countries. I can't. Yeah, but have you, you know, tried? Have you really tried? Maybe, just... maybe I should, maybe I should call okay. the, the presidents and have a conversation. Um, you know, so I don't have the power to stop what's happening, but I do have the power to, and, and again, that's good that I don't want people to think like you can't do anything. I right. do have the power to continue to love my neighbor. I do have the power to continue to share the gospel message. I do have the power to make a difference where I'm at. Yeah. And that's uh, not nothing. That's, that's not something. nothing. Yeah. Yes. That, yes, that is, that is definitely something. And that, that is, but do I have the power, the ultimate to, to stop the war? No, I don't, yeah. but I do have the responsibility and the ability to do something right where I'm at. Yeah. And I think faith comes in. Like when we talk about it, faith comes in when you say, this is what Christ has said to be a servant, to preach the gospel. Faith is okay. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to trust that something good comes out of that because yes. I'm doing what my king has said to do. Right? Yes. Yes. Because maybe this, this message will reach the president's desk. Yeah. Right. Something. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and it's yeah. going to, I'll stop right from our conversation. Yep. I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> um, 
All right. So I'm, I think I'm going to push this to learning from the scripture, okay. uh, the witness of the church. Again, we're talking about my kingdom is not of this world. And I, I love the, what implications this have, does this have for the church? What implications for individual Christians who live and are called to minister within the world, but also hold citizenship in a kingdom, not from this world. And this is like an age old thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, I just think it's really important, but I'll let you go with anything you want to highlight. And then let's see where we go to. Mm. Okay. So these are really important questions for me. Um, and really important things to think about. So what implications does this have for the church that my kingdom's not from this world? It is always, that is hard because it's that balance of serving the world, but being a servant of Christ. And, and there, there is a balance there, which we struggle with. Um, because we tend to get caught up in, in just being a part of the world and not necessarily recognizing what it means for us as a church as a whole, but us for individual Christians that hold citizenship, citizenship, that's a good word, citizenship in the kingdom, because my citizenship, I am a citizen of the United States of America, but my citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, and I wonder when you say that, I wonder like Polycarp, we'll talk about him next week okay. or things like Justin the Martyr or even Paul or Peter. How did they understand their citizenship? Did they really think, well, I'm a citizen of the Roman. I mean, I get Paul did when it came to like, you can't kill me unless you, unless you right. appeal to the, you know, but like, did they see themselves as citizens of Rome or citizens of heaven completely? Like when the author of Hebrews talks about being an alien and stranger in this world. Or when Peter talks about being an alien of this world, did they yeah. even see themselves as, as, as a as dual citizens? citizenship? Yeah. Did they, or did they just say, no, our, this Tom Aquinas and St. Yes. Augustine have this little thing going on. Uh, and, okay. And so throw me some Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine. So, yeah, because I think I've thought about this about two and a half years, about two and a half years ago, I started studying, trying to figure out what does all this mean? And like, so uh, St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God, City of Man, or City of God, I guess. It's, but City of God. In, in his understanding, um, you're, you're a citizen of heaven. And, and basically, whatever happens down here, whatever. Like, do the best you can, whatever. But you're, don't be so. And then Augustine or Aquinas was more like a be active in the world kind of thing. Like, our, when I look at our confession of faith, we're more. Thomistic than we are Augustinian. And I think I'm an Augustinian on this. Uh, so Aquinas would be kind of more Christian should be more in the government protest things that are evil kind of thing. And Augustine's just like, y'all, as far as I'm concerned, y'all go to hell. I'm going to be faithful to heaven. Right. Like right. there's a sense in which Augustine would just pull back and be like, Hey, that's their, that's their business. Like let them do what they do, but you're, you're a Christian. Like, remember that you're not, do good in the world, but not in a systematic political way, not, not through the government. So like in the first century church, there, here's a good example. Romans would practice abandonment. They didn't want a kid, especially okay. female. They would just leave the kid somewhere. It would die. But yeah. Christians would go back around and pick up the kid and care for it. And ultimately, you know, and so like, that was one way that like a quant or Augustine would understand that. Like, he's not going to push for the Roman Empire to say you can no longer practice abandonment. Aquinas would just be like, go take care of abandoned kids. Go take care of the children. Right. Right. So that would be, and then Aquinas would be like, no, if it's evil, we have to hold power to accountability. You know, truth to power, if you will, probably originated right. with, with Aquinas um, and not so much in Augustine. Um, so so then when i'm thinking so like the response to from christian groups to the government here's the way i got it like for me broadly speaking there'd be three groups three groups you'd have like your ultra conservative nationalistic type conservative groups that would see no difference well this could be liberal groups too though actually conservative or liberal where you see no difference between the kingdom of god and the kingdom of humans so like you can bring utopias on earth through the government or whatnot not my will but thine be done on earth as it is in heaven 
So on either political scale, you can get this liberal utopia or you can get this conservative nationalism, which can't see a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth. Like the government should be a theocracy almost type thing. Right, right. And then in the middle, you would have this working of some religion, some government, kind of what we got going on now. This, uh, this uneasy like, yeah, feed the poor, but Jesus isn't exclusive to salvation. We don't need any of that in government but we do need people to feed the poor and, and, you know, be nice. Okay. And then on the other end, you would have that there should just never be any intertwining whatsoever. So, I mean, almost like a Amish type thing to where like they're completely on a society. They don't even use cars. They get exemptions for, you know, whatever they need exemptions for a pullback. So you okay. have the utopia on one side, you have this uneasy mix that never works hundred percent well, but you know, well enough. And then you have the pull away from society. Mm -hmm. um, so, which is a utopia in itself, but it's not like the government run utopia. Right. You know, and, on that side. And it's not really a utopia, but. <laughs> well, I'm just yeah. saying you got this. Yes. Yeah. You either have this wedding of government and faith and theocracy. You have this kind of wall of separation, what we call mm -hmm. it. And then you have this, because like, you know, we're doing mm -hmm. our thing in this wilderness over here and, and go sure. on. Um, hmm. anyway, when I get older and I'm fired from this job or quit or whatever, I will be taking on section 6.27 of the Cumberland <laughs> Presbyterian Confession of Faith. I think that is not helpful in today's day and world. I don't, I don't, and I brought this up. I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. So there's, no, this, you're good. there's this article I read just this morning and I have it here because I think it's, it's an article about our new Supreme Court nominee, Judge Jackson, right, and her role of faith in her life. Uh, but this um, this article goes down to show like how the past like six or seven justices have had to say, or like a senator will ask, "Will your faith have any impact on your ruling?" And every single one of them have to say, "No, no, 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 yeah. no my faith would never impact anything." I think, and right. I think, why get yourself in a position to where you have to say, "Nope." Faith won't have anything to do with this. I, that bothers me. I mean, it makes, yes, that's that yes. uneasiness I was talking about how yes. in a government, you, you want to have this religious good stuff, whoever deems what is good, but sure. not too much. And, and I just don't know how, how you can be a quote unquote sold out or, you know, completely Jesus ridden person when you have to compartmentalize your life to say, yeah, well, I'm not going to let that influence me. Right. It's just happened since John F. Kennedy. Remember John F. Kennedy had to like basically pledge to a bunch of pastors in Dallas that he wouldn't be too Catholic, uh, which again, it's not Christian or non-Christian, but I mean, it's just when you get into public, you, public stuff, you, you can't, yes. you can't be really Christian anymore. And right. I don't, not, not in our, not in our government. No, no. So that's hard for me. That's why I'm, I'm pretty Augustinian, but but I live in America, so I've got to be a little Aquinas too. Well, you know, okay. So let's think about this process. Christianity has survived under every form of government yes. since its inception, right? Yes. So well, not more so than others. I mean, yeah. Right. Sure. 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 But it, it still has survived and it still has brought kingdom values to earth and to people and been transformative and changing no matter what the government system it operated under, whether it was it was done in secret or done out in the open, it survived through every form of government feasible. Praise so, God for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. It, it, yeah. I'm, it's tough. I'm, it is tough. It is. It's incredibly tough, you know, because it all started back. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament, we were supposed to have God as our king. Yeah. And then we had priests who were representatives of the people to God. And that didn't work out no. because the people looked around them and went, hey, I want to be like hey, everybody else. I want to be like everybody else. I want to have a king. I want to have a physical king sitting here. And then we went to this whole idea where you had a king who was both representative of the people, but then also representative to God, you know, and was supposed to be in both places. But look how that worked out. That didn't work out so great either, you know. And so I think we just need to 
do our absolute and utmost best and to represent mm-hmm. the kingdom where we are. I mean, love people, love God, love people, love, yeah. people, love God. Great yeah. commandment. Yeah. Um, but it's so tempting. Sure. To force your opinion on people. Absolutely. It's so tempting and fun because it gives us, it, it gives us that power, yeah. you know, that power trip. Look what I've done. You know, when it's not supposed to be about anything that you've done. I'm writer than you. I'm yeah. more faithful than you. <laughs> yeah. I'm more powerful than you. Mm-hmm. And there's that human pride. It does get in the way. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It does. Absolutely. Um, second paragraph under the learning from scripture, page 29. I think this is a good summary. Uh, the last two paragraphs before the discussion question, uh, Reverend Jennifer writes, as Christians, we cannot ignore the world around us in pursuit of heavenly things. Rather, we are called to faithfully engage in the world around us. Our response to the world's needs, issues, and brokenness should be rooted in the reality of God's kingdom. Our methods should reflect God's loving priorities. We are called to play an active role in the world, but also to transcend worldly ways and classifications. We are not called to participate in politically partisan and divisive ways, but in Christ-honoring, reconciling ones. I think that's pretty good. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of fluff language because that's all you can do because you still got to flesh it out, but sure. it's right. I mean, it's good. It is. It is. And I think it's a good summary of exactly what we're supposed to be doing. So Sunday school teachers, if you just want to like make everything explode and get a lot of discussion, ask the discussion questions in what ways, you know, review section 6.27 through 32 in our confession of faith. Um, And then, you know, what is our role as Christians in politics or in the world and whatnot? Trust me, you'll run out of time before you actually teach anything. You really will. You really will. Especially when you get to that one about, you know, what are those ideals threatened in your community and what opportunities does your congregation have to address those concerns? Yeah. And they're, those are real. I mean, there's a fundamental way of looking, looking at uh, racial uh, reconciliation uh, in the Christian community or the non-Christian community. There's a way of thinking about economics and understanding or not. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Sexuality is obviously one that's front and center in the world. I mean, like, the working out of this uh, in your mind and in your churches have real world reflections on how you minister. Mm-hmm. So yes. good to think about yep. it. Absolutely. Um, all right. So applying the scripture, sharing insights, we return to this truth thing where Pilate says, you know, what is what truth? Is um, what do you got there? I, Jennifer did a good job here. I, I really think she did because what is truth? It was, it was not, it was not a question. It was Pilate just saying, okay, our yeah. conversation, our conversation is done. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But she does also go to the next part. She says, what is truth is a cynic's response. It's a question posed by someone confident. There is no answer or unlikely to be satisfied with any answer given. And I think Pilate was of that point where what answer can you give me that possibly is going to satisfy what I'm asking you. And so the conversation is over because what is truth for Pilate? The truth for Pilate and in, in where he was, was that he was in charge. Bam. That's what I was about to say. Done. Yeah. You know, he was in charge. What he says goes, he understood full well that the Jews were not bringing him to, to Pilate, we're not bringing Jesus to Pilate because of something that they couldn't handle. They were very they, scared about this theology thing. I'm sure Pilate cared greatly about their theology. I'm but. sure he was just steeped in their theological beliefs. Yeah. It was, it was understanding that the reason Jesus was brought was because they needed to wash their hands of Jesus. They needed to have that blood not on their hands, yeah. but they wanted him to die. And so, a way to get that done. Yeah. So like this discussion of what is truth, again, just because I've had to study further things and one day the upcoming book that I'm going to write. That's right. Anyway, like, so when I, when I became a Christian, I had to, I had to really think about like, what is truth? Like, because I'd spent lots of years saying that this wasn't true. And now all of a sudden I was on the other board saying this is true. And I'm like, well, how could I be so wrong one way or the other? Like, mm. cause it was so obvious what? to me. Wait, you were yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was that one time I thought I was wrong, but it really wasn't. And so that kind of made me wrong. Anyway, um, like when I was a non-Christian, I was very adamant and it was so obvious to me 
I'm like, this is so obvious. How can anybody? Do? And then when I became a Christian, yeah, I was like, this is so obvious. How can anybody? And and so what I came yeah. to is when Pilate says what is truth, it's a good question and it depends on where you start. And so like I've realized that there are people who are just brilliant, greatly, just brilliant minds that are so much smarter than me and they're non-Christians. And then I've realized that there are people who are brilliant, smarter than me, just absolutely knock yourself off smart. And they are Christians. And I'm like, well, how can all these brilliant people come to two different conclusions? And then I thought, well, it just depends on where you start. And what you said was, Pilate really wanted, was, he started with power. That was his worldview. He, the power of the Roman Empire, power of his yeah. position. And everything made sense to him. But if you start with power. Who cares yeah. what truth is? This is some religious crazy person. What is truth for whatever? Because yeah. he's starting here, but Jesus was starting in heaven, the power of the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Correct. And so that's when I realized, like when I read like atheist arguments against um, religion, well, if you start with the fact that there's no God, every single thing they say makes perfect sense. And is probably true in that line. Yeah, and sure, sure. When I hear rebuttals from Christians, all of that is 100% true, but they started somewhere else. And so that, what that led me to is, is that you start with faith. You simply have, Augustine says, I believe in order to know. And what Augustine was trying to say is you commit to a truth, mm -hmm. you believe it, and then mm -hmm. you construct, then you construct yeah. outward. And so it's a matter of faith. And yes. I think that's what Jesus. I, I agree. When you have, when you have somebody who is sick in your congregation and you are praying for them, and they have this amazing healing. Somebody who is a non-believer is going to go look at the Western medicine, look at what the doctors did, look at the yes. physical properties of these elements, look at. Absolutely true. Sir, totally true. Yeah. But if you're coming from a perspective of faith, yes, the doctors did do a great job. Yes. The medicine did do a great job. Yes. The operation was successful, but look at what God did. Look at Absolutely the knowledge true. that God gave the doctor. Look at the knowledge and information that God has given us so that we could develop this medicine. Look at what Jesus did in, in, in closing around this person, wrapping their arms around them and helping them heal faster. Totally true. Yeah. Totally yeah. true. And so faith, I think, is, is also your starting point. Like, where are yeah. you starting from? Um, so she writes... And on page 30, again, I think she does a great job here. So I'm just going to read what she writes. Reverend Newell writes, two worldviews collide in this ancient courtroom mm -hmm. scene, the spiritual and the political. One man lives in a world where might makes right, a world where military power, violence, and political maneuvering and big budgets get things done. In Pilate's world, messaging, marketing, and good public relations are his most important jobs. A convenient lie is more valuable to him than the truth, which is true for him. Absolutely. Right? The other man is in hot water because of his commitment to the truth, not just in a just the facts kind of way, but something deeper and harder to control. He defends a truth that transcends the worlds of soldiers and courts and Roman governors. This other worldview is willing to tolerate nuance and live with honest awkwardness and even put up with discomfort for the sake of what is true and truly en enduring. That's a cool line. Way to go, Rev. Yeah. That preaches. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful yeah, because I mean, that's, that's where we are. We're in that we operate in this balance of world, but not world because yeah. we're, when we choose, when we choose Christ as our Lord and savior, when we choose to be a part of the kingdom of God, we're, we're supposed to share those kingdom values and we're operating in a world that doesn't see them. It's tough. I, yeah. I think the discussion that we've had, because we've been on for a little while today, but the discussion we had already hits this discussion question. But that last one is what I want to know. Let's see if we can further our oh. discomfort with the, okay. uh, our discussion question. Think of a time when something true also felt threatening. That happens a lot. If you're honest with yourself, if you live Absolutely. a life of honest uh, dialogue and faith, there's going to be some stuff that Jesus says that just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, sure. Um, and then how do you respond? And then how do you determine the truth of any claim? So those last two, how do you determine the truth of any claim? What sources of information do you trust? 
and I, I, I don't want to go on for 10, 15 minutes, but those right. are big questions. How do you determine the truth of a claim? And then mm-hmm. what sources of information do you trust? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- those are, those are difficult. Um, I think ultimately I have to go back to scripture. It, it's okay. all, based right. in, it's all based in scripture. That's an important one. And it, the one that's increasingly polarizing yes. for churches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a lot through prayer. I think we've talked about this before, how the, the church that I came from didn't believe in women in leadership. And so when I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian church, I really struggled with women in leadership because I knew in my heart that the person I was listening to was called by God, but I couldn't reconcile that with what I was taught. And so I had to go back to scripture and through a lot of prayer and through a lot of reading and just the Holy spirit guiding me, my eyes were opened to the women leaders that were present in scripture this whole time, but I never saw because it wasn't talked about, uh, it was glossed over, just given a cursory glance sort of thing. And so once I really understood and then started doing some historical study on what exactly does this mean? Like Mary and Martha, right? Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, you know, we look at that just kind of, oh, well, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. No, we don't understand that the historical aspect of that is for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi being taught scriptural truths was so not okay in that culture i mean it just completely unheard of for for a rabbi to be teaching women um and so for jesus to be openly accepting and to be teaching women these scriptural truths was just um, groundbreaking, but we don't, we don't get that because we, we just kind of gloss over it and move on, you know? Yeah. And, and so how do I determine the truth? It's, it's by doing my own personal study of recognizing the cultural context, doing my own ex, exegetical work, you know, going back and looking at the, the cultural context of the scripture, who it was written to, why it was being presented, and then through prayer and the Holy Spirit, just showing me what the truth really is. Yeah, so we we both kind of fall on the same line. Like, I believe Christianity is a revealed religion. And the, mm-hmm. you know, so like, whatever I can know comes from above. Mm-hmm. And then whatever I can construct from that still is a construction. And so it's liable for, so I, to say that, I think we agree that we would go back to scripture, how we interpret it's going to be different, obviously, because we're from traditions or whatnot. So my big thing would be the Wesley quadrilateral, which you've probably heard of in one of your classes or whatnot, to where you have scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Ultimately, I think what you said, and I said, I would go to scripture first. First. If I can't clearly define something, then I would say tradition the 2000 years that the church has been studying these things, you know, like, you know, people went to caves for 40 years of their life just to study one or two things and came back out and the church adopted. I mean, I think tradition is, I think tradition is, is cut out quickly in our, in our culture. And, but, but with Wesley Quadrilateral, you have scripture as a foundation, then you have tradition. That's the 2000 years of people saying, well, let's think about this. Mm -hmm. Then you have your own personal experience. Now, I think in our world, we've probably taken the, we've jettisoned tradition and just say, we'll go from scripture to personal experience. But I am not proud enough to say that my personal experience trumps 2000 years of tradition and interpretation. I can't, right? But I can say that my experience can become part of that tradition. It can become part of that discussion and, and whatever else. Uh, and then the fourth one would be in the Wesley quadrilateral would be reason, like, but that would be the one that I would that I would uh, actually lean on the least, right? Because who knows where? I mean, like, did you have a bad day yesterday and indigestion clouding your your discernment? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. reason or a bad conversation that has just got you all. Yeah, because reason can be so up. faulty. Yeah. But when you put all four of those together, that's how I do that. Like, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's how I would, I would get my resources. Like me, I'm going to start on any question. I'm going to start with a book that was written before uh, 1800. Yeah, <laughs> like that's yeah. going to be my base. Like church fathers are going to come before any modern commentary. Yes. Uh, and, and then I'd, I'll work my way up from there. And that's how I agree with, or, and then, but through, so, the, so then how, 
if people are trusted resources or how do I know something should be trusted or experience a lot of times, but then also my experience with people or my experience with resources, I would say is where I'm at on that. Mm -hmm. It's a good discussion to have with your, um, it all right. So in the, and we've been here, this is probably one of our longer, I don't know how long we've gone because Becky's cat my brought her a present in the middle of our recording and she couldn't tell whether the present was still dead or alive. So we had to stop for a second. Yeah. And, and, and so um, that's, that's the transition where it looks weird. If you're watching this, it'll look <laughs> weird, but that's why we had an emergency friends. <laughs> we did. I, I had an emergency <laughs> that needed to be taken care of right now. Uh, that's yeah. fun, but it was a good lesson and it, and I'm going to be thinking about it. Yeah, this is a lesson that's not just a a one and done. I mean, this is one that's really going to call you to do some deep, deep, deep thinking and soul searching. All right. Well, then next week, Becky is going to be your host. And and so y'all are done with me for a while, kind of. And anyway, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.